Twitter's your one-stop shop for news, reviews, and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, we've had a couple of very interesting games, and we've had some heartbreaking news. So, hey guys, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How's it getting on down in Cork, lads? Are you ready? We're about to have a, a stage five lockdown imposed in Ireland, so we're all going to be uh, locked away for the next, I think, six weeks minimum. So, how how goes the setup? Have you all got in your, you know, 400 rolls of toilet paper and, and you know, emergency water rations? Well, we're not supposed to stockpile. The government has told us deliberately not to stockpile. Everything will be fine as long as we just obey the rules. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like you're the opinion of a man who's going to die in the wastelands. <laughs> <laughs> not only plagues in Cork, but also floods. But uh, that's pretty far for the course down here, to be honest. Like. Yeah, I saw, I saw some of the images of it. It doesn't look, uh, it doesn't look great now. Have you invested in a good pair of wellies? No, I live in like a slightly elevated part of Cork, so it's grand. They put all the commerce where it floods. It's probably not the best choice, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, do undo it at this point. Oh, great, yeah. I've just been uh, I'm up in Dublin at the moment. I was house hunting, so I've got hoping to have something lined up by the end of this week, which would be nice. And then, uh, as I'm, you're allowed to travel for essential purposes, and apparently moving house counts as an essential purpose. So I will be able to move up if we get something sorted. So it'll be nice, but we'll see how that goes. Okay, we'll fire on into the news. What's the main story? It's always COVID nineteen these days. Carolina are on lockdown after a case has been caught in their facilities. New England have one case. Denver running backs coach one of their coaches is positive, and there's a positive non player staff in Atlanta and Jacksonville have a case on the practice squad. So as we can expect, we're going to see a higher number of players now these days going on to the COVID IR because they've, I think, changed the definition for close contact stuff. So like Kansas City's fullback had a close contact and then he was put on, I believe, a five-day temporary IR to check. There's also false positives turning up like Indianapolis or just whenever people have cold symptoms that they're being held out of practices and there's kind of lockdown-y type things coming in place like with uh, Odell Beckham in Cleveland. So basically this, I think is probably what par for the course is going to look like for this COVID news going forward. Barring any kind of large outbreaks, I think every week is going to have a couple of players on a couple of teams being, you know, in intense testing to make sure. The whole, like, complaint right now in the, in the news in Ireland and the UK is about the inefficiency of track and trace, and I think that's what's so important in the case of these NFL outbreaks. If you can keep it to one or two players, then we've seen already that the, the NFL is willing to make those games go ahead but if you have a full-on team breakout, like in Tennessee, then that's where games have to be shuffled around. So I think, you know, they've gone to every day there's a test. Anyone who has any symptoms uh, is being put into isolation, close contacts in isolation, and then all these false positives are getting retested within a day to confirm whether there's something going on or not. So the NFL is investing a lot of money um, to ensure that they have one of the best track and trace systems in the world. And to basically mean that, you know, they don't put anyone in a situation where a huge outbreak happens. Now, obviously, the rules have been tightened a lot over the last few weeks. And Tennessee uh, aren't expected to be sanctioned too heavily for their unauthorized practice while they were locked down when they had positive cases. The claim is, is that, well, there was a communications failure between the team and the players. And therefore, we might throw a fine at the team. But it's not expected to be any player level punishments. Do you do you for a second believe that? Like that they say, oh, it's a communication play failure they didn't tell them like the players were hiding that they were doing that they went after the reporters who told it they knew that they were breaking the rules misinterpreted the rules <laughs> <laughs> well Vrabel is from the Belichick tree and he has been known in game to do some Belichick type tri- tricks but you know the you need uh, positive proof unless it actually is New England you know Tennessee has the history of not being a Belichick team to, to help them out yeah. I think this counts as just a good week for the NFL in terms of COVID because the games happened and I think from the NFL's perspective, getting the season finished, that's the main Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we're going to have a number of weeks down the line where there will be serious scheduling problems. But this, I think, is, is minor news given what we've been facing. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, we'll see We'll see how it goes. But yeah, I think the big one is that now they've tightened up the rules. So anything like Tennessee did, if that happens again, they can come down like a, like a ton of bricks on them. So that'll hopefully keep them a bit more in line. We had a couple of injuries this week. Tennessee have taken quite a bad couple of injuries. So their offensive tackle, Taylor Rowan, has torn his ACL. He's gone for the season. Obviously, they're a run-heavy team, and Luab is part of that. And also their tight end, Jono Smith, has injured his ankle. So he's now gone week to week. He was a big target for them in the passing game, although I believe their backup tight end played pretty well uh, this week, but we'll talk about that in the games. Pittsburgh have lost Devin Bush, their linebacker, 
to an ACL for the season. And Carolina's defensive tackle, Kawan Short, has injured his shoulder and he's gone for the season. So obviously, Tennessee and Pittsburgh are the more playoff-relevant teams here and both losing big pieces of their identity. Tennessee with that offensive line to keep Derrick Henry going and Pittsburgh with a linebacker in what is probably by a good distance the best defense in the NFL this year so far. Luan, I think, is probably the more significant change. I think you know, Tennessee, they like to control the game. They like to run the ball through Henry and get those big plays and then allow Tannehill to clean up. But I think we've seen enough from, from Tannehill uh, this this year and last year to kind of think that even with an injury like this, I don't expect him to fall off a cliff or anything like that. And A.J. Brown came back last week and has looked pretty good, so I think they can survive without Johnny Smith either. So Tennessee are one of these weird teams where it's like literally just Tannehill, Henry, and A.J. Brown probably will kind of carry them. But... You know, maybe when the, if you know that in the playoffs, that might be something significant. And like Devin Bush, like compared to Devin White, his 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 other first round Devin in, in his draft class, he has probably been a lot more disappointing. He's been bad against uh, tight ends in particular over his first year and a half. And to be honest, he, his PFF grade is like mediocre. So look, it's definitely a loss. He, he's a talented kid, but he's probably not the key component of that Pittsburgh defense by any stretch of the imagination. And that K1 short is, you know, I think Caroline's run defense was already terrible, so I'm not sure how much worse it could be without K1. That's true. We had a couple of ones that weren't season enders. We also had Philadelphia lost tight end Zach Ertz to a high, to an ankle sprain for about four weeks and Miles Sanders to a knee injury for a week or two. I don't see a huge impact from that because Zach Ertz has been playing terrible this year. Uh, Miles Sanders, play decently but they don't really know what they want to do with that run game and they've got Boston Scott to step in for the two weeks so <laughs> it's not like the, the offense can be any more unreliable than it has been over the last four yeah. weeks or so San Francisco losing another running back Raheem Moser to a high ankle sprain he's on temporary IR and Baltimore running back Mark Ingram has an ankle sprain he's week to week so a lot of running back injuries coming in now bizarrely that, that Baltimore backfield hadn't been playing all that well the last two weeks if you combine them all together, it's like not the worst, but I think the fact that they all only get like 30 to 50 yards every week is kind of why none of them are really rated at the moment. But yeah. like, I think like the, the Baltimore offense, they're trying stuff, I think, just to see if they can move away from their base offense, but because they're having so many blowouts, to be honest. But yeah, I don't think it'll be a huge problem, even if he misses a week or two. On to Controversy Corner. This one, I believe, Sean, what was it that you said in the messages earlier? Like, why won't somebody think of the mediocre white man? Tua Tugavailoa has been Once named again. the starter in Miami after the Week 7 bye. This comes after Fitzmagic has led them to being 3-3 three and three and only a game out in their division. Yeah, it's a bit uh, it's a bit confusing. So Tua came in at the tail end of the game there this week and uh, he, he, threw a, he threw a two-yard dump-off pass. Like obviously you're hoping that you're hoping that Miami is seeing something in camps or in training that makes them believe that Tua is ready to go. Like we know that Tua was the best quarterback prospect coming in to the draft mm-hmm. uh, in terms of pure talent. Joe Burrow obviously had the great uh, senior year, but Tua has been consistently one of the best quarterbacks at college level. Look, I think Miami, like with Fitzmagic, I don't think their cap is anything more than being like a very close uh, wild card type team. So I could see the logic for going to two and now, but I think it, it does feel a little bit unfair since it's magic has probably been making that team, that offense in particular, look better than his because that offensive line isn't great and he has to create a lot of the yards by himself. But look, if two, it looks like the two that we saw in Alabama when he was kill, like killing things, then, you know, he has the potential to do that type of stuff as well. But we'll definitely have to see. It's a bit of a strange choice given the record, but like that, that's the future of the franchise. So you might as well see what you have. Yeah, the, the timing of it is, is very strange. I mean, maybe the buy makes makes sense in that regard that they, they want to get him ready now, but I, I just don't understand why. It's magic has gotten the fucking Miami Dolphins to 3-3 three and three and somehow can't hold on to the show. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on this kid now because because of the fact that they are competing not only for the playoffs, but also kind of for their division. The division is, I mean, the Bills should win the division, but it's a little bit up in the air. Um, and so if they go and lose, say, seven games or more under two of them, the, the pressure starts to build them straight away. So it's not an ideal position for a rookie to be coming in. You'd rather, in fact, that they had gone uh, one and five before you come in, because now the comparison will always be there. Yeah, there's there's a couple of rumours spinning around that basically that they had always planned to bring him in post the bye, but these, this is a team whose bye week was moved due to the COVID gate, uh, stuff, so I think their bye week was meant to be in like week eight or week nine, and that maybe they kind of go, okay, you know, 
we, we still want to stick to that plan. I don't, I don't like this look at all. I think it's, it's like you said, putting a lot of uh, pressure on the on the young fella. And I just, yeah, I don't know how you bench Fitzmagic whenever he's, you know, been playing like he has for you. Uh, we had a couple of trades and signings. Uh, Kansas City, the the the, 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 the headlines going around for this pretty much everywhere is the rich keep getting richer. KC have signed running back Le'Veon Bell, who was just released from the Jets. I'm hoping for a big season because he's just gotten away from Adam Gates, and we know what that normally does to a player's career. The Chiefs get him for practically nothing because he's still getting his eight million from the Jets. So yeah, he's like so he's a million or so or something. Yeah, I think yeah. he's paying for just about vet minimum, and with a load of incentives, he can get to like one point three million. I'll take that for a backup in a heartbeat. We'll talk about the Chiefs game later on, but this is an interesting one because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a hell of a game this week. And the question at the end of the game was kind of, where does Lev Bell fit into the rotation of running backs here? Surely you want to lean on the young fella in this spot. But yeah, like I like the signing. We talked about it a bit about it last week that I thought it could be a nice fit, particularly if he came cheap. And that's exactly what happened. They'll, they'll play the hot hand, I imagine. I think CEH has earned the right to, to be the lead back and they'll probably continue that. But if he has any step down or picks up a knock or something like that then having someone like Lev Bell to spell him either in game or as the season goes on is a huge advantage like you don't want to wear out your rookie too much so having someone like Lev Bell it's a major improvement Uh, I don't know how effective Lev Bell will be he looked okay in the one game he played for the Jets but obviously the last few years have been very tough on him but look if any team can make a running back look good again it's the Chiefs because those teams are going to sell out to stop Mahomes and that's going to make it easy uh, for most running backs seems that the the Chiefs have kind of pivoted a little bit more to the running game this season, so I guess I can understand that. But, I mean, I, I do think it's a little bit harsh on Edward Seller. Um, I think he deserves to be the, the main man there in the running game, so hopefully he doesn't undermine his confidence. Oh, yeah, like we'll see, we'll see how, how it works. Because like I said, this, this Bell contract isn't a long-term setup. It's only going to be the, the one year. Because Bell just wants to get on a winning team to get his next contract out of it. Uh, Jacksonville traded a 2021 sixth-round pick for linebacker Camille Correa and a seventh-round pick from Tennessee. Uh, he was agitating to get out. Uh, he's someone who hasn't really worked out too much. But look, Jacksonville <laughs> might be looking forward to their next rebuild, so they might as well get some young talent in there. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Crime and punishment, Melvin Gordon has been arrested on a DUI and speeding charge, so we expect an NFL suspension to come in soon. Not not a great look for him, particularly. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't really been living up to expectations and kind of pissed everyone off last year, so he's not really helping himself out here at all. Like, he's been solid. Like, he had a decent game in uh, week five, I believe, but, like, I think they have Philip Lindsay there, and he looked pretty good. Um, alone as the lead back as Melvin Gordon was out with strep throat this week but uh, yeah like he's talented enough that they'll probably look, overlook it but yeah he's looking at maybe a two three game suspension and then Lindsay will probably get more action but I think for Denver it doesn't really change their game plan too much at the moment Two random bits of news in New Orleans have changed their 2024 Super Bowl to 2025 due to the fact that it would conflict with Mardi Gras. This is a terrible mistake. Mardi Gras and the Super Bowl combined would be <laughs> phenomenal. Oh, it would be one hell of a party. Like, if, 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 if those were happening simultaneously, I think that would be our, like, big target, right? That's the one that we're all going to go over for. But yeah, that makes, that makes sense, I suppose. And this is the very sad news I mentioned at the top of the show. The Pro Bowl, the greatest game of football that is played every year, has been cancelled. We will no longer see the best of the best, minus the absolute best of the best, play each other in games of chance and skill. Sad hype. The, the All-Star game is a weird phenomenon in American sports, but the Pro Bowl in particular seems to be the, the kind of looked down upon second kind of cousin. I, I, I must confess I've never actually watched the Pro Bowl. Sean, you're missing out. It is we 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 may tell in this podcast that it is the greatest game of football that is played every year. Yeah, you gotta check out the all twenty two. Make sure you break down everything. <laughs> I, I think they are planning some kind of online event, but it's probably going to suck. Yeah, it's going to be awful. And with that, we'll move on to the games from last week. So first up, Houston at Tennessee. This is thirty six to forty two in overtime. Tannehill, three hundred sixty four yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. He led the game. Houston tried to go up nine with a two-point conversion that didn't work for them, and they just had you know King Henry just to ride the whole game out. Two hundred and twelve yards, two touchdowns. Watson looked an awful lot better. It seems just getting rid of Bill O'Brien helps. Three hundred thirty-five yards, four touchdowns. The weapons were better, but their defense was just not doing much the whole game. Like particularly for a team that has people like Merciless and Wash and everything on that team taking up a lot of cap room, you'd expect to see a little bit more out of them. This was a solid win. I'm surprised, honestly, that Houston ran them this close. I wasn't expecting that. But look, it's a good win, and it seems that Houston are kind of getting back on track. To take note here of 
just the performance of Ryan Downer. He's really slotting into this team very well. He was very instrumental last season in turning this season around. I mean, it's it's almost the ideal position for him to be, to be kind of allow Henry to be the star and he can be the solid, reliable player who kind of does what has to be done. I mean, I was very into Tennessee last week when I sort of crushed the Bills. This obviously is a lot harder as a game than you'd expect given the Texas record. So it's still a little bit difficult to know where the Titans really are as a team. But I have to say I'm very impressed with the offense. Yeah, and Houston, like, look, I think given where they were a few weeks ago, uh, I think this is a good result to see against obviously your major division rival, albeit considering your record probably not a rival for this season. Uh, and like Deshaun Watson, he yeah, I think the offensive line is giving him a bit more time. He wasn't sacked like 15 times in this game. And I think both Cooks uh, and Fuller are looking better uh, at the moment. But Fuller has uh, been up and down, but both him and Cooks now seem to be contributing in the past game. That's a major, major boon for them because David Johnson, like he's okay, but he's not going to win you any games at this point in his career. But yeah, that defense outside J.J. Watt, who is having a decent year, like there's just not any talent there. They can't stop teams. And I think the fact that you know, Derrick Henry just went off for that like ninety something touchdown. It's just a really bad sign in terms of, of being able to win games going forward. Like I think I think Houston there's a definitely you can sense there's a weight off the team now that Bill O'Brien is gone, but you can still see the gaps in the roster left by Bill O'Brien. So I expect Houston to be a bit more competitive down the stretch, but I don't think we're looking at a team that's probably playoff relevant. Yeah. Detroit at Jacksonville thirty four to sixteen. This game was not good. Comfortable enough for the Lions in the end, I suppose. They never really felt like they were being challenged here. The the offense, you know, produced what it needed to produce. The the rookie Swift had two touchdowns and 116 yards, destroying the, the Jacksonville's non-existent run defense. And on the passing game, and Galladay had a 100-yard game as well. So, I mean, the Lions, I mean, it's hard to know exactly where the Lions are. I think they're a decent if they might end up somewhere around the 8-8 eight eight mark, whereas Jacksonville just looked very bad. Minshew had a, a couple of moments, but generally speaking, was was nothing at all. The run game had about, I think, about 30 yards total, which is just awful. And with with their defense so banged up with injuries, um, they're really being exposed. And they they look like they look like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dever at New England, 18 to 12. Like, I, it's probably not a score, Gabby, but it's not a. It's a quite a surprising looking score. Yeah, have, they're both divisible by three, so it's probably fine. Yeah, but De- like Denver, Denver scores six field goals, and that's it. Their run game was okay. Lindsay got about a hundred yards. Locke threw two interceptions and nearly cost them the game. But New England looked terrible. Cam was one hundred and fifty yards and two interceptions. There was a decent bit of scrambling, but the offense just looked completely lost. Like the defense did its job. Like if you can. If you can hold them to six field goals, you gotta hope that your offense can put something together. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's the not practicing with the COVID stuff with Cam or what caused it, but this was a very flat performance. I think this is the past team that we're kind of expecting this season a little bit. I do think that the lack of practice really hurt them. The timing was off on plays all the time. The offensive play calling, I think, was quite conservative because they hadn't practiced anything more creative and Cam just coming back. The past goal line is incredibly disrupted. So, I mean, the Pats just, you could tell that this was a team that had to practice for a while, and it showed. On the other side of the ball, I mean, they, they did hold the Broncos to just field goals, but it was still quite disappointing that they couldn't restrict them more than that. I mean, the, the Broncos didn't have to punt until the fourth quarter. Like, every time, they never scored touchdowns, but every time they had the ball, they got into field goal range. The, the Broncos are very good control of the clock, and it's a very fast game. That the pass can get a lot of plays, and when McManus was kicking like a god, he had two um, field goals of more than 50 yards. Apparently, I mean, from what I've heard about him, he's, 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 that is kind of in his wheelhouse as a normality. Honestly, the pass should have, should in any other season, the pass would have won this game comfortably. I kind of hope it's an aberration, but it is kind of worrying that, that if this is the standard, then this is a team that is going to struggle. Yeah, and like, look, under Fangio, he's a defensive oriented coach, he's getting that defense coached up, and they're looking. Uh, maybe better than you expect, especially since obviously they lost Paul Miller earlier this year and they kind of played an old school type of game for most of the game. Like Lindsay was the lead back with, with Gordon out due to strep throat and he looked pretty good. Like once Lindsay gets through the hole, he bursts through it, he makes yards. He can sometimes get stuffed at the line, but like I think, you know, on average he ends up being an effective back. And I suppose like it is a conservative game plan, except it was kind of weird. Like once New England were coming back late and looked a bit more feisty uh, in the fourth quarter, that's when they chose to have Locke throw a couple of shot plays, and that led to two interceptions in situations where that would be the, ob- the obvious thing to do would be to run. So I'm not 
quite sure what was going on with Fangio's thought process late on here with the lockpicks, no pun intended, but like it's a situation where Drew Lock hasn't looked good for a while. He's kind of looks a bit uncertain, and I know like Kirkland Sutton's out, but I think you have to be concerned with Denver that, that you need to see more from Lock if you're going to put him like nail down as your franchise player yeah. on the back going down. But for now, they're kind of playing this staid, kind of safe brand of football, typically when Drew Locke is asked to, to throw it around, it, it isn't looking great at the moment. So, look, for Denver, they got the win. That's, that's what matters, as well as, uh, mostly. But uh, for their future, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned there. From my perspective, the, the Broncos, I mean, I just don't think they know what their identity is. They just don't know what kind of team they are. For ones that don't know who they are, we go to the Titans of the NFC East, Washington at the Giants, 19-20. to Washington decided to go for a two-point conversion late, but failed. Allen was okay, 282 touchdowns and an interception, but their defense was basically non-existent. Giants don't have a quarterback. Danny Dimes, 112 yards of touchdown and interception, but like there's literally nothing working on that offense at the moment at all. But the one bright spot possibly was that their defense performed well and interception, forced fumble and three sacks. The only thing with that is look, it's against the Washington football team, so it doesn't really count. Yeah, but against the Rams, they're pretty good, so I think this is just a continuation that the Giants' defense isn't a complete walkover. It's, even though this game was close, there's no point in even thinking about this because no. these teams, despite being relevant in inverted commas. No, of course. Cincinnati and Indianapolis, 27-31. to 31. This one was nice and close in the end. Colts had a 21 nothing deficit, and then Rivers decided to play like old-school Rivers, 371 yards, three touchdowns and interception. The only difference being old-school Rivers would have lost it at the end, whereas these guys <laughs> didn't. Burrow slowed later in the game, but he had a good he had a good game. The offensive line played pretty well. Even AJ got involved in it for what nearly 100 yards. Yeah, like I think this is a game between two teams that probably underwhelmed mostly this year. Like I think obviously with Cincinnati, you have Burrow, you're excited for that, but the surrounding talent just isn't there. I think the fact that he only was sacked twice against a defense which has been pretty okay this year is a good sign. If they can just if Burrow could just stop getting sacked all the time. And Cincinnati might have a better end of the year than they had a start. Cincinnati, you know, they're going to have some decent games and bad games. I think this is a rebuilding year. And for the Colts, like, they're obviously in a more win-now situation with Philip Rivers at the helm. And I think it was just good to see Rivers have a good game. He's just been very underwhelming this entire season. And just seeing him being able to spread it around, kind of pass it out. He even had a few uh, touchdown passes to T.Y. Hilton that got called back on penalties. You know, I think he just needs to realize he needs to stay in the pocket and not do those ad hoc moves while he's trying to run. Yeah, yeah look, this, just not this, a team this is two excites. teams that are like that are fighting over getting maybe the seventh seed. Like that's yeah. kind of where they both are. Surprisingly, one-sided affair: Atlanta, Minnesota, forty to twenty-three. I think Sean called this one correctly, but tell us briefly about it, everyone. Yeah, like Raheem Morris wins in his first game, and like Matt Ryan looks good because Julio looks good. He has Ryan at three hundred seventy-one yards and four touchdowns. Julio had one hundred thirty-seven and two of those touchdowns. So look. Maybe it's as simple as Julio back, Matt Ryan good. And the D was at least solid with Raheem Morris at the helm, um, at least until garbage time. Cousins got a few late touchdowns to, to Justin Jefferson. Oh, but he, he, probably he, he never does that. Claire Cousins doesn't do crazy things <laughs> in garbage time to pump up his statistics. Look, Jefferson was the only bright spot for the Vikings. He obviously had 160 yards and two touchdowns late. But, like, look, it was 23-0 early on in this game. It was pretty much over. And then Cousins, he threw three picks in this game. He just looked awful all game. And considering everyone's kind of going after that Seahawks game that, oh, maybe the Minnesota Vikings aren't so bad, we see exactly here why you can't trust this Minnesota Vikings team week to week. Look, they'll probably play a tough game against like Green Bay at some point, but week to week they just look pretty bad under Cousins. And, and It's just a team that's on the decline and you wonder where they're going going forward. Baltimore, Philly, 30-28. This one was a lot closer than we were expecting. Philly didn't look good until the back end of this and then they started to kind of come back together. They tried for a two-point conversion. Yeah, there was a lot of failed two-point conversions this week, but they weren't able to, to make it back. Uh, Wentz had 263 yards and three touchdowns. The Baltimore D was on them all day, six sacks, and Jackson got it done with his legs over 100 yards. But their passing game is very lacking, and that's been true for the last couple of weeks with this team. Baltimore's offense seems to be trying to do some new things to move away from what they did beforehand, but it doesn't seem to be working fantastically well for them. I suppose like you see like Jackson, he does the run, he goes for 30, 40 yards on a touchdown, and you're kind of going, why don't you just do that? It worked all last season, and yet you keep trying to turn him into a, a traditional uh, quarterback, but it's not really working, especially because Hollywood Brown, I think, is, was out for a lot of this game. So in this game, really, the Baltimore like defense was doing most of the heavy lifting, which is good, and but although albeit against a pretty poor 
Philadelphia offense. But yeah, like they gave away flags, which is very uncharacteristic for, for Baltimore. The run game didn't do much outside of Lamar, which is also uncharacteristic for this Baltimore team. So, look, I think, as you say, maybe they're experimenting, trying stuff out against these weaker outfits when they have these leads. But you do have to be a little bit concerned that they're not quite putting up the, the, the kind of explosive plays that we saw so often last year. But as for Philly, like, look, they were very uneven up until the fourth quarter. They were just very Philly-like, basically, this year. But the fact that they, you know, Wentz came back, showed a bit of grit, albeit a lot of his throws were kind of, I felt like, prayer throws where he's on his back foot and just whatever, like YOLO. This is a situation where, you know, at least he stuck in the pocket, he threw the ball up, they got some points against good defense, and, yeah, they were a two-point conversion away from tying this up and sending it to overtime. So you can take that as a positive, and in the NFC East, it might be enough to make them relevant. Like, look, it's not a very fun team to watch right now with all those injuries, so... So they can just hope that uh, during the stretch, maybe they can put this together a bit more against their fellow bottom uh, basement dwellers in the East. Yeah, like their hope is they're in that division, so you're never really out of it. For me, I think this is um, this is the example of what I was talking about last week about the, the AFC North and the NFC East. The Ravens are 5-1, and one, but look very unconvincing, much worse than, than last year. Um, they don't really seem to know what they want to do going forward. And they let a Philly team, which have not a lot, lot about them, almost take them to overtime so I mean again it's yeah we still don't know anything about this Baltimore team really and I think it's going to be later in the season before we fully figure them out Cleveland at Pittsburgh, speaking of those AFC North teams at 7-38 to this was a game where you know Cleveland had a chance to really kind of put down a marker and say who they are in this division and the answer is that they are still probably the third best team Cleveland really this this was the game where it demonstrated just how far off the, the pace they are the Steelers, I mean, Tony Romo during the game was talking them up the Super Bowl contenders. I mean, I think it's a little bit too early to say that because because of this AFC North asterisk thing is that we don't really know how good the AFC North teams are. But, but they certainly look ba- uh, more balanced on both sides of the ball than any other team. They both have a, a very good defense and uh, a quite a good um, offense. Um, offensively, I mean, Claypool was, was the star attraction here, the... The nickname they're going from is Mapletron because he's Canadian. Oh, yeah, I hate that nickname. <laughs> Romo was really trying to push it during the game. So the offense did, did a was fairly solid. Even Connor had, had a good game. The defense was what this was all about. Incredibly uh, aggressive, um, absolutely ran rapid. Two interceptions, including a big six, four sacks. Um, the, the Browns just couldn't keep up. Uh, on For the Browns, it was... Baker Mayfield was error-prone all over the place. His first interception was just a terrible read. The drives were stalling around the 40-yard line constantly. They kept falling. They, because they were falling behind, they had to lean on the pass game, and obviously that didn't work at all. Mayfield was so bad, he was actually pulled out of the game at the end of the third quarter. The claim was because he's got this rib injury that he's overcoming. But, I mean, I wouldn't be I mean, I think he'll be back starting again next week, but there could be questions about how long Mayfield... And he's the, the starting quarterback at the Browns because he just has not produced what the rest of this offense deserves from their quarterback. Maybe they should just go back to let's just let Landry be the quarterback because they've had good success with him <laughs> throwing to OBJ. Okay, next up Chicago at Carolina, 23 to 16. Choo choo, the Chicago Bears are 5 and 1, baby. The defense looks brilliant. Four sacks, two interceptions, a forced fumble, only allowed six points going into the fourth quarter. Foles was what you would expect Foles to be. It'll either be a great play or it'll be a terrible play. There'll be very little in between and it'll just go very streakily. So he'll have periods of it going great and periods of it going terrible. And the run game wasn't much. But yeah, like it was, Teddy, like Teddy Bridgewater was overmatched by this defense. Carolina didn't know what they were going to do. And Chicago are. Sean was talking about a couple of weeks ago. I've been on this, on, on this now for about three weeks as well. Like that. Chicago are a legitimate team here and they're leading the they're leading their division and they've got a great defense and if they can just get the performance like a base level performance out of Big Dick Nick like they've been getting like this team can go places the way this team is constructed is kind of strange I mean, the defense has obviously got very strong but what you would want on the offense is someone who's just solid and reliable and instead they have the most erratic quarterback known to man so I mean it's kind of a strange team and they're they're holding it together but I mean I didn't expect that they would get five and one thought about it at the start of the season. I mean I think they'll drop off from that. I, I can't I can't really see them winning the division, especially with the Packers being strength that they are. But I mean that defense is legit and they they're going to pull this team or carry this team as, as far as the, the offense will allow them. But I think ultimately the erraticness of the offense is going to cost them. 
does it kind of remind you a little bit of the of the, the Bears teams of old? Like I'm kind of thinking, like a bit kind of you know sexy Rexy kind of periods and stuff like that, where like they do just have a good, very good defense, and then they have a like quarterbacks who can like Jay Cutler even, who can like occasionally will just have streaks of playing really well and then will also just have periods of, I'm just going to throw three picks now. Years ago when they had um, Mitch Trubisky as quarterback, they, they were they were a good, I mean they were like they were a very high seed two years ago. They were very, yeah. very strong defense, but they just, they just never have an offensive game that can match them. I think the difference is, is that, you know, that first year on the Nagy, at least they, they had a decent offense, it kind of felt like, whereas this year it still feels like last year, just a bit on and underwhelming. And look, Carolina, just to give them a little bit of pension, like, look, Teddy was harassed all day. He scrambled. I think he did okay, given the circumstances, given that. But, yeah, like, look, I think maybe they, they, they were overwhelmed this game and that Christian McCaffrey could come back a little bit early. That'd be nice because I think, look, Mike Davis, he's been a pretty solid in some of these other games, but I think against the better teams, he, he was exposed a bit. So, look, we I, I wouldn't throw Carolina off the bus completely yet, but, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit disappointing considering where they've been the last few weeks. Jets at Miami, 0-24. Miami just blew them out. They had the fun with Fitzmagic, and I suppose this could be an element of why that they why they're going to pull him and bring in Tua. He did make a couple of bad mistakes. He threw two interceptions in the game, but look, they didn't really have much to worry about against this Jets team, who for some reason still haven't fired Gates. I don't really understand why. Less than 275 yards on offense for the Jets. Their defense was just not up to a huge amount. Like we mentioned, Tua got in for, 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 for a quick start towards the back end, but this was just a one-sided routing that you learn absolutely nothing about either team in. Green Bay at Tampa Bay, 10-38. to 38. This was an impressive performance from Tampa Bay, particularly from their defense. They looked dominant. You could see exactly why Tom Brady would want to be at this team. The defense looked great. They even managed to get like old school Tom to Gronk in the back corner of the end zone happening in it. Like it was incredible to have this kind of scoring margin where I think Tom had like sub 200 yards passing or something along those lines. This was a good show of how this team can take the limitations of an older quarterback and have a team built around it that can take on the top end because this is a this was against not like uh oh we don't know who they are yet this was against a green bay team that has been the best offense in football through the first five weeks yeah i mean it was it's i mean i, I do think you need to put it on the defense here i think this was a defensive win there wasn't a tremendous amount um, coming from the offense other than the the, the reeling in the ears um tom and Gross <laughs> together again I, I'm still not entirely convinced by this Tampa Bay team. I think a good defense can get at them, but their own defense, certainly Rodgers, it was surprising how difficult Rodgers found it. And they targeted him with pressure. And much like Brady, indeed, that when, when Rodgers gets pressured, I mean, he used to be a lot better at this, but recently he's gotten a bit older. Once he gets pressured, he doesn't quite play up to the standard. He's very much, uh, as long as things are ticking over the way he wants it to, he plays well, but when it doesn't and he suffers. So, I mean, the Packers, this is the first chink in the armor. This is the first time we've really seen that this team may have limitations that will hold it back um, later in the season mm-hmm. and the postseason. Like, in terms of the Tampa Bay offense, I think actually, you know, the main way it's running through is through Rojo, like Ronald Jones. He's the one who's kind of pushing this team forward, getting those hard yards and kind of turning them into a more New England-type offense or latter New England offense that we saw the last few years than the type of Arians offense we saw last year. And I think that's probably how Tom wants to play the game. And I think as we're going along, I think you're seeing more influence of the Tom Brady style versus the Arians style. The Green Bay Packers, like, they were up 10-0 early, but then they give away a pick six and what felt like a lazy ride by Devontae Adams that that Rodgers probably would say was was mostly Adams' fault. But they also gave, he threw another pick very quickly after that and then they were in a hole. And then by, you know, when they were at, half time and they were down by multiple scores they seemed to just kind of give up they just kind of like given that they were up early and they seemed to be rolling and they were all smiling suddenly the game turns and then suddenly the whole thing just collapses in itself very quickly and it kind of gives you an indication that maybe this green bay team has a bit of a soft underbelly still because that's what we saw last year like say against san francisco in the playoffs when this team gets bullied when the other team can run it down their throat take the ball away from them and force rogers to be hyper efficient and not get the easy plays that's when they start to struggle a bit. So 
maybe that issue hasn't gone away despite the uh, gaudy numbers they put up earlier this season. We then had the Rams at San Francisco, 16-24. to uh, Tell us a quick bit about this game, because it was uh, a yeah. surprise, but not, yeah, not, like not, it, not exactly a highlight real game. Like, the Rams got a, a late touchdown to make this more respectable, but, like, San Francisco dominated this girl game early on, with Jimmy G being back in form thanks to Kittle, which basically seems to be the trend with, with the San Francisco offense at the moment. And, look, they got Jason Verrett back in there in the defensive backs. Like, the fact that they have... Defensive backs who aren't completely useless is the main thing going on there. Like the offense for the Rams was just poor, and like Goff wasn't helped by a couple of drops. There was like a like a t- drop touch on my cup that he'll definitely be very annoyed about. Uh, but I think the big thing for San Francisco is that they were managed to bully that defensive line for the Rams early on, get those the run game going, and give Jimmy G the opportunity to do his kind of kittle passes and a few passes to Debo behind the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for San Francisco, this is a really important win to keep them relevant in the. Uh, playoff hunt and for the Rams a missed opportunity to assert themselves as the uh, at least the number two in that division. And we get on to our what I'd say is quite frankly the greatest time I've ever had for a football game like 10pm Monday slots are class please have more of those. Uh, Kansas City at Buffalo 26-17 Kansas City decided to change it up against Buffalo in what was pretty horrible rainy conditions and just went to the ground game they had 245 on the ground 161 for Clive Edwards Hilaire Mahomes threw for 225 and two touchdowns, and they just kind of put the brakes on this on, the, on, on this Bills team. The defense stepped up. The Chiefs line, in particular, did a surprisingly good job, given that they they they're down to one starter on that line. They've back up center in all the interiors in. They lost Mitch Schwartz to a back injury after the first drive of uh, of the game, but they were able to to, to just dominate. Now. The question is, is that, a, is that a function of the Chiefs' offensive line, or is it just how far the Buffalo defensive front has fallen because they haven't been performing well of late, and potentially that's what went into it. Josh Allen found it difficult going in the rain. He wasn't helped by a lot of drops from his receivers, but he only had 122 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He got about 40 on the ground, but yeah, like even though... It's only, what, uh, a nine-point game at the end of it. It never felt like it was even as close as nine points, to be honest. For Kansas City, like they get a lot of soft boxes because they have Mahomes. So I think the fact that they were willing in this game, you know, given the conditions were so poor, to actually just go, okay, they're giving this, so let's get CEH, let's get him going, let's have him have a dominant game, which he hasn't really had since week one. He's been solid since then, but this is his first game since then to really blow up. Um, and I think it's, it's a statement of intent from the Chiefs that they are a proper pick-your-poison offense who will not be easy to stop uh, and will take what is given. Because I think the important thing in this game is that what looked like in the field and the reports indicate that Mahomes was the one choosing to call into some of these run plays because he saw that the box was weak and was willing to pass off some of the offensive mm-hmm. um, production to his running backs. And so I think you know that's the next evolution which is a scary thought of Mahomes, <laughs> like that situational awareness growing every every game. And yeah, for Buffalo, they just looked a bit overwhelmed by that for the second week in a row. And you you have to wonder whether that early flash that we saw from them um, might bring them back more down to earth as a kind of middling type of 10 and 6 type team we kind of thought they might be before the season started. Yeah, for me, this was, this was a game of adjustments. So the weather completely, I think, threw both teams' game plans out the window. But the Chiefs were the ones who adjusted to the weather quicker, and, I mean, the run game is just naturally stronger than Buffalo's. Anyway, they were really dominant on, on third down. From the Bills' perspective, I mean, they were just leaning on the run game, which is not a strong point for them. They were living on third down, which is just not sustainable as a strategy, and the defense seemed to be playing soft to prevent the kind of the long team's throws, um, which um, that just let the, the run game go wild. So it was, I mean, pick your poison, I think, is, is a term for this. The Bills just could not stop all that the Chiefs had to offer, especially when the weather was playing havoc. Um, with the past game, Allen's passing percentages, especially the first half, was just appalling. Mahomes adjusted to the weather in terms of that very quickly. I think it was like two throws, and then he was back to normal, whereas Allen took a good quarter and a half to realize how to throw uh, it. Yeah, the thing you got to worry about a bit more about that is that he trains up in that northeast. Like he's kind of should be probably more used to that weather. But yeah, no good win overall for them. But Buffalo, look, it was a tough game. It was a tough situation, and they were only a score and a half out, so they're not dead in the water by any stretch of the imagination. Arizona, Dallas, this was an awful game. I watched the. But I think about up to about the end of the first half, and I was like, yeah, I'm not watching any more of this. Thirty-eight to ten, Kyler showed off, like 
260, 70 yards, uh, three touchdowns. He had 24 points in the second quarter, and then they just went to the run game to finish it off. Dallas couldn't get out of their own way. Andy Dalton didn't seem to want to pull the trigger on throwing any footballs. Anytime they did get it going on the ground, Zeke coughed up the ball. So two fumbles in this game. I think that brings him to five on the year, and I think there's no one else has three or something like that. Like, it's not very good. Yeah, just overall, if, if you're one of these people who are waiting to see, you know, <laughs> what level can Andy Dalton rise to with the surrounding talent? This is not, uh, not, uh, not one that you're going to be overly happy to, to, to watch. Although apparently he does have a terrible history of primetime games that he has never performed in a primetime game. He's got a, like, a one to one touchdown interception ratio and average QBR of like 72 or something. Like he is not set up for the, you know, for the big screen. It's probably a bad idea to be playing for the Cowboys then since the Cowboys are on primetime all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a great <laughs> show. No. But yeah, because like, cause he didn't even, like, he didn't even live up to the, to when he came in in relief in the last game, he played better than he did in this one. And like, let's be honest, this is not a Arizona defense that's all that scary that DBs haven't been playing particularly well this year. They've got all the weapons they need in Dallas, and there was a lot of open receivers that he just didn't throw at. Dallas, trade Andy Dalton for Jameis Winston from New Orleans and just oh, take yeah. advantage of the fact that you have all these wide receivers. Jameis Winston knows how to throw it up. He might throw picks, but since Andy Dalton's doing that without getting the production, you might as well have some fun while you're at it. Yeah, why not? That's actually that's a good shout, Fitz. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, well, I suppose we'll move on. We'll look at the games for next week. Okay, so first up, they were, they've been trying to push this one for a while on the telly with the ads to try and pretend that both these teams are good. The Giants at Philly, this is going to be an awful game. We've all gone for Philly. Yeah, I mean, one of the downsides of the NFCs being so bad is that they take up so many primetime slots because there's so many big markets that there's just going to be an awful lot of garbage this season. I mean, I think obviously the Eagles are much stronger and, and the Giants are, are garbage. I think this is what's interesting about this game is this is the start of a stretch for the Eagles. They go. Uh, Giants, Cowboys, Giants with a bye week somewhere stuck in there. So if the Eagles are to win the NFC East, then, um, given post Dak um, Dallas, I mean, they really should just by default win this division. If the Eagles can win these next three games, then the, the, the division is theirs. If they can't, then I just don't know who's going to top this, top, top this division at all. Yeah, uh, Carolina, New Orleans, we've all gone for New Orleans. Yeah, look, Mike Thomas is back. New Orleans have been playing pretty decently, and Carolina. I haven't really trusted them anyway beforehand, and I think this week as well has just kind of more solidified in my head that they are they are that tier below. I, I think yeah, we'll we'll see. The Orleans are just a more talented team overall. Um, I don't expect this. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but yeah, I think New Orleans should have enough to kind of take them away. Especially I think it depends. You might have Michael Thomas getting pissed off. There's like you know missing a couple of games. He can't get the 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 the, the catch record this year, so he might just start trying to up that number. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Uh, next up, Buffalo at the Jets. Uh, it's the Jets. Buffalo win. Not really much more. As long as Gase is there, Buffalo wins. <laughs> yeah, like I'm to done. be honest, I think it's just more a question of do the Jets score at home. Cleveland at Cincinnati. Yeah, <laughs> you guys have gone for Cleveland. I've gone for Cincinnati. I think Cleveland haven't been playing particularly well. Cincinnati's defense has actually played better the last few weeks. Cincinnati look a bit friskier. Sure, they got up to 21 and nothing on the Colts, who were meant to be an excellent defense. Cleveland, I think, are quite fragile at the moment, and they have to travel up to this, and it's an in-division game. Like Even when Cincinnati were terrible, they played the Browns pretty well. For me, why I'm picking Cleveland is mostly about the run game. I think Cincinnati's run defense just hasn't really been great this year, albeit it wasn't too bad against Indianapolis. I think if Kareem Hunt can get going or Dernish Johnson in relief can get those yards and that opens up the game plan for Baker or perhaps uh, the backup, depending on the situation. And I think that is the game plan for Cleveland. That's how they beat them earlier this season, although they had showed back then. So, look, if Cleveland can get the run game going, I think they can get this done. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly a lot closer if that doesn't happen. Uh, Sean, you've been talking up your love of the NFC East. Uh, tell us a bit about this Dallas at Washington footballs. I, yeah, I, I appear to have uh, inadvertently picked all of the NFC East. Um, so, yeah, this is a garbage game between two garbage teams. Uh, myself and Fitz have gone for Dallas. Connor has gone for Washington. I mean, the Cowboys have offensive talent, but they don't have a quarterback anymore. Their defense is awful. So, I mean... But on the other side, Washington have very little about them at all. They, they, they don't even have that potential upside of having a talented receiver. So I'm going to eke out the, the Cowboys here to hold on to their tenuous grip to the 
the top uh, of this division. Um, I, yeah, I'm just kind of praying. Maybe if it's a tie, maybe if they all start tying and then the Eagles can, can win maybe five games, then that'll be enough to get in because uh, this is this is going to be a record all-time low for wins by a division winner. I think. Yeah, I'd say so. so to be honest, the basis for my picking Washington here is just they're at home and Dallas have to travel a good distance for it. So, because I think they're both terrible teams. <laughs> Green Bay, Houston. We are all going for Green Bay. To be honest, this is probably going to be a better, like a better game than I would have thought of looking at it like two, three weeks ago. Green Bay played very well, but they kind of, you know, got their got their lunch eaten last week. And Houston, while losing, ball, played very well and looked to have kind of shaken off some of their offensive woes. So, like, we're all going for Green Bay because I think they are the more talented team, top to bottom. Like, it's roster issues for Houston, not individual players. But yeah, I think that should be a real nice game, actually. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting matchup between two teams. Where obviously Green Bay, they're looking to probably come back and, and prove that they're not complete uh, cupcakes. And then for Houston, you know, trying to continue to show that without Bill O'Brien, they're actually a good team. But uh, for this, I think Green Bay's defense is just that bit better. And I imagine that they can keep down this Houston uh, offense enough that, you know, Aaron Rodgers should be able to take care of that, that, that Houston defense and kind of get enough production. Um, or maybe they'll lean on Aaron Jones. But either way, I think they'll, they'll get plenty of points and that should be enough against this Houston team. Yeah, next up, Detroit and Atlanta. Me and Fitz have gone for Atlanta. Sean's gone for Detroit. Look, Atlanta looked a lot better last week. Basically, Julio Jones is back, so they're able to have a pass game again. Detroit, I think, I still just don't think they're good. I think they're massively overrated. I think their defense is terrible. And it's not, it's not Gardner Minshew and the Jacksonville Jaguars defense you're playing this week. Like, I think Atlanta, are strong enough. Now, that, I could see it. I could see it happen, but I just think I think Detroit are basically winning one in every three games or so, just to ensure that Patricia isn't fired before the end of the season. That's about it. Um, <laughs> I just don't. I don't rate Detroit in the slightest. I suppose I rate the Lions a little bit higher, and I, I do. The Falcons. I mean, they're they're a vulnerable team. This is a team that blown loads of leads uh, this season, and just because they win one game doesn't it doesn't paper over all the cracks. I mean, I think just Detroit are a little bit more solid. They, they know their level, and it's not a particularly high level, but they know where it is, where the Falcons are capable of, of blowing out teams one week and then being blown out the next week. So I, I just think the more reliable pick uh, here is. Next up is my pick of the week, Pittsburgh at Tennessee. Two very good teams, two playoff contenders. I've gone for Pittsburgh, Sean's gone for Pittsburgh, and Fitz has gone for Tennessee. Tennessee have lost an offensive tackle, which I think is going to allow this Pittsburgh uh, defense to get a little bit more pressure on them. I think of teams who have the defensive personnel to be able to come and match up well with this Tennessee team. It is Pittsburgh. They've got the kind of thumpers in the backfield that they can go and send after Henry. They've got strong kind of safeties who can come into the box and stuff like that. And they've got good linebackers. I think they, they can, they can show looks that'll cause problems for Tannehill because while he's efficient, he isn't a world beater, but equally, they are a team who knows exactly what they're about to Tennessee. They know exactly how to scheme it up and they will be preparing for this because I think this one is going to, without question, have big seeding implications for the tail end of the season. It's, it's a huge game and both are going to be pretty well-matched teams. But what I saw at Pittsburgh last week, I, I think the defense in particular is on uh, a vein of form that is going to be hard to match. And I mean... The problem with the Titans is, yes, they have a somewhat solid, reliable QB, but they are ultimately quite one-dimensional going forward in that Henry has to carry that team. So if the, the Steelers target that, then it could be difficult for the Titans to get the kind of points they're going to need with Roethlisberger and, and his impressive receiving points. I don't disagree with anything that they Obviously, these are two good teams. I think you could pick either of these fairly. I think, I think you're underestimating Tennessee to a certain extent. I think that run game, it's not just that it is effective in terms of yardage but it's also that it, it is specifically designed to wear down defensive lines. Like Pittsburgh have been getting success here by blitzing. And I think Tannehill, when you blitz him, he has A.J. Brown back. Johnny Smith will probably play in this game. Corey Davis is back from COVID. I think he'll be able to take advantage of that. He's just so incredibly efficient, particularly in the red zone, that I could just see him being able to take advantage of that. Because I think with, with Henry, you just can't, you can't really be as aggressive because he will punish you a lot if you make one mistake. So... Look, I think on the defensive side, I've also been kind of pleasantly surprised by Tennessee, particularly like Malcolm Butler is playing really well at the moment, and they've been holding down the other like the offenses uh, pretty well. Uh, like I think you know the Texans kind of came on late in that game, but I think overall I've been relatively impressed with them. So look, I think uh, and to be honest, like the major thing is I think Vrabel is like a really good head coach. I think he knows how to win games. He he certainly pushes the edge of what you can get away with, and I think that's the kind of thing that historically Pittsburgh maybe haven't been as good at getting around. 
you know, their history against the Belichick canteens isn't great. And I think Vrabel is probably the best Belichick disciple by far. So I'm going to give Tennessee the slight advantage at home in this game. But yeah, it's incredibly close. This will be, that's, I think that is the one to watch anyway for me. Seattle at Arizona, we've gone for Seattle across the board. Like Arizona had a decent win there, but that was a, that was an Andy Dalton led Dallas team with their own defense. Like, it's, uh, yeah, the, the, it's a very different the, prospect to be taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, they'll need the pressure, Russell Wilson, if they're going to win this game. I think that's more difficult without Chandler Jones. If they can't get consistent pressure without blitzing, then I expect Seattle will, will win this game easily. But Arizona, look, they're a very up-and-down team. They are at home. They've These games against Arizona have always been a bit wonky. These ones are always so. weird, isn't it? Like, this is, was it last year or something, one of these was one, like, kind of, like 12 to 7 or something like that. Yeah, and there's a tie, and then there's been big injuries in these games, so it's always a weird one, but I think Seattle, given their talent, should be able to get this done, even if the teams have been knocking off don't exactly have the best record up to this point. Yeah, this that was the famous, was it four years ago maybe, the famous 6-6 six, six tie where everybody mm. was missing field goals from uh, on the post. Madness, <laughs> madness. Uh, Jacksonville at the Chargers. Uh, Ronan? Yeah, look, I think the, the Jacksonville like train has kind of fallen off the tracks and Justin Herbert obviously has come in for the Chargers and looked great, so I expect that even though the Chargers are experts at losing games that they should win, I think Herbert and the run game uh, in particular should get in more than enough production to get this done against just a very bad Jacksonville team. Yeah, San Francisco at New England. Me and Fitz have gone for San Francisco, and Sean has gone for New England. I, I want to believe. I mean, it's it, what's what's giving me hope here is that Bill Belichick is going to be mad. This is the first time um, um, that this late in the season, i.e., from week five onwards, that the Pats have been below five hundred since two thousand and two. So this this is new territory for this Patriots team, and Belichick is going to want to get things right out of the debacle of last week. So I can see him really working hard to, to, to scheme this up and, and to get some, some good stuff going. And the 49ers are just, I mean, yes, they had a good win last week, but they're still they're still not quite at the level they were last year. And there's, there's certainly not um, something that, that if the Pats are on, on full form, um, I don't think there should be too much trouble for them. The question is, is, is can the Pats execute? Is Was last week an aberration or a sign of, of a team um, on the way down? And as a Pats fan, I have to cling on to the belief that this team is still as good as it's been for the last 20 years, or at least, if not that good, at least good enough to, to beat the Niners at home. You see, I have a, I, I, I have a feeling that Bill Belichick's going to find it hard to, to, uh, call plays for this game because his eyes will be full of tears as he watches who was meant to be the heir apparent to his system playing on the other side. When things are at their toughest, that's when you must cheat the hardest. <laughs> Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. <laughs> Unfortunately for New England, I imagine San Francisco, even though most have gone out, I imagine they'll lead on the run game a lot. McKinnon and Jermichael Hasty and Jeff Wilson. Like, just like, you know, Shanahan system, just very, very effective at running the ball. And given what Lindsay did against them, I don't think New England's run defense is quite where it needs to be. But look, if they can get, if they can push the game onto Jimmy G's shoulders and force him to win this game for San Francisco, then I give New England a shot. But I don't know if this New England defense is quite where it needs to be to stop uh, what looked like a revitalized San Francisco offense after. Yeah, we'll see. Like the thing is, they are traveling across to them, and as we know, the uh, the West Coast to East Coast travel stuff is kind of it does hit players a little bit more. But uh, right next up, Kansas City at Denver. Uh, we've all gone for Kansas City in this one. Yeah, Kansas City looks to be rolling at the moment. Denver look a little bit shaky. Their defense has looked improved, so it'll be interesting to see how they perform. And they always do play us quite well. But yeah, like I think at the moment, Kansas City's offense, both through the air and on the ground, is purring along quite nicely. And the defense looked a good bit more revitalized last week er, as well. And yeah, if the O-line, that's the one concern is, was the O-line improvements that we saw last week for Kansas City to do with the O-line actually being good or with it just being Buffalo's defense not really being ready for what they were giving because Denver do have the kind of people who if where if our line isn't correct they will be coming through and they will be causing hassle in the backfield uh, Tampa Bay at Las Vegas this is Sean's pick of the week yeah so I've gone for, for Vegas here but Connor Fizzle have gone for the Buccaneers I mean this is two good but not great teams um, that have had their moments this season they've both had big games game wins against against supposed title contenders, so it'd be good to see them coming up against each other to see what level they're really um, at. Um, I've gone for the Raiders here because, I, as I said, I'm just not convinced by this Bucks team. I think they, I think there's uh, a lot of a lot of soft spots to that team. 
and even if their defense is, is impressive, they, they don't really, maybe, not fully clicked on offense yet. And I think on the other side, the, the Raiders have shown, especially uh, in that game against the Chiefs, that when they perform, they can perform to a very high um, level. Um, so I'm just going to eat, eat them out here because they are at home. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be a very close game um, on It'll, it'll be a question of if this Tampa Bay defense can show up the way that it did in the last game, because I do think that Derek Carr has limitations, and I think, like, while they played well against the Chiefs, the Chiefs' defense were not prepared for the game plan that they came out with, so I think possibly the personnel on Tampa Bay might match up a little bit better there, but yeah, I can see I could see this going either way. If Vegas come out and play like they did before the bye, and that's the other thing, they're coming off a bye week, so they will be fresh and they will have been prepping this game. Yeah, I think I think it should make for for a good one. And last up, we have Chicago at the LA Rams. I've gone for Chicago. Sean's gone for Chicago. And Fitz, you've gone for the Rams. Tell us about it. Yeah, so like you would think after picking against the Bears last week, I'd have a mea culpa. But no, I am doubling down and picking against the Bears for one more week while everyone else uh, goes against me. But look, this is, an inter- this is a very interesting, uh, I suppose, mid-table tilt, even if Chicago have a superior record. Obviously, we know what the Rams need to do. Um, they've established the run game a lot this year. They've leaned on Henderson and Brown to do most of the grunt work while Goff is returned to more of a play-action type role where he's been mostly okay. But obviously, in the game against San Francisco, um, they went behind early and that ended up throwing the whole thing all off track. And that's probably a large reason why they ended up looking a lot worse than they have in, in the other games this season. So I think the template there is obvious. Don't let Chicago get a big, big lead. As long as you don't throw pick sixes, that's probably not too difficult. And then just make sure that you control the clock and keep uh, Chicago off the field. Um, so then, of course, then the issue is, well, can the Chicago defense basically bottle up that run game? But I think like that's the one the one thing for the Chicago defense is that the run defense hasn't been spectacular. It hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been the strength of that defense. And I think if, if they can't keep ahead of this game, if they can't like get a lead early on, then I do think the Rams just have more quality especially if, you know, Foles in that pocket with Aaron Donald coming after him. If he's doing a lot of passing, then I could see Foles throwing a lot of interceptions and end up throwing this game away. So, look, I just think the Rams are a better team overall. They're a more solid, consistent team despite the worst record. And I think Chicago will be uh, not exposed, but just won't have enough to, to, to to keep the Rams from winning this game. For both these teams, the important thing is not to give up a big lead early on. I think if either of them do that, I think both of them will be in a lot of trouble at that point. I mean, I, I have to disagree with you here, Fitz. I mean, you talk about the Rams being a consistent team. In my view, they're anything but a consistent team. I think they're a very erratic team that on their day can, can destroy teams, but also can struggle a lot. I think the Rams, historically, under McVeigh, have, have, when they've come up against good defenses, they have, have really have failed to produce what is necessary. When you start to rely on, say, someone like Goff to actually have to do reads or think about what he's doing, then the, the entire thing seems to fall to bits. I take your point about, about Donald um, attacking Fold. I think that the, the Bears' offense is, is going to have some, some struggles there, but I, I just think there's enough in this Bears' defense to hold these rounds down. So it, it could be a, a low-scoring game, but um, I, I, I just I believe in this Bears defense enough to, to pull it through. Yeah, like the, the the thing with the Rams team is that like they were playing San Francisco last week, and San Francisco's defense is missing what half its starters at this point, and they had nine or so points going into the back end of that game. Like they finished with sixteen. This Bears defense is substantially better than that. Like. Unless the travel really knocks it out of them, I'm not sure if this Rams offense is up to the task. Uh, like I'm not saying the Rams are definitely going to win, but I do think like, I trust them more to maybe get a, a lead early on and then hold it. Where I think Chicago, they got relatively lucky in the last game. But like, look, these are both teams that are kind of gritty teams, for lack of a better term. They both want to run the ball if they can. The six of um, one Chicago Bears, baby. But yeah, this is this is probably one where I, I think you know, yeah, like you could. Like, you know, eventually I might have to eat, eat crow on this, but for now I'm willing to give it more to a team that I feel has more upside still for now. Yeah, so any plans for the rest of the week slash weekend with yourselves, lads? Just lockdown and, and, and bunkering? Beyonce is back after two and a half weeks in Chile, so uh, that's going to be good. That's if she can get across the border. She's, she's the, the county by county thing. Hopefully mm. she can just say I'm a medical professional. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, it'd be good to, to you know, not be Ah, <laughs> oh, poor Sean. Yeah, I'm heading back down to Kerry this afternoon now from Dublin. Hopefully I'll have word that my 
that one of the houses that we looked at that we liked is going to let us rent it and then we will move back this weekend yeah it'd be nice to get back down and see the see the wife and everything and uh then obviously there's a couple of nice games here for the weekend for the sunday as well so it'll be good and it'll become a, a toilet uh, toilet paper lord down in uh, the sticks and carry <laughs> bring, fa- bring fancy four ply back from the from the capital I think that the rugby is back, uh, the international rugby is back this weekend, so probably checking that out as well. But yeah, other than that, just keeping safe, keeping masked, and uh, social distance where possible. Excellent, excellent. Well, lads, I suppose that'll do for this week, so uh, we'll wrap it up there. So, so it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week.